omnipotent. All men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Ten score and five years ago, our forefathers declared independence from an oppressive king. It seems so fitting today, Independence Day, that we're in the book of Philemon and studying the freedom, the independence from the flesh that comes through a knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, While our forefathers were getting away from the the, the struggles, the oppression that was coming from England, um, we have overcome a much greater struggle. Um, And uh, I think the book of Philemon is just just an amazing book when it comes to the change that comes when... um, we make that transition, we become a believer in in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, welcome. As most of you know, my name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the associate pastors here um, and uh, really appreciate everybody that's here, everybody that's online. I know this is a long weekend, so I know a lot of people have probably gone. Of course, don't know where you're going to go. It's hot everywhere. We have a... uh, lady that works for us up in Seattle. It was hotter there than it was here last week. And uh, so, yeah, and then I saw that uh, Lytton, British Columbia hit 121. How's that for a nice place in Canada? Okay, so, yeah, so in 2021, we're talking about new beginnings, right? So we looked at Genesis and Galatians, and now we're in the book of Philemon. And Philemon seems like a simple story, right? I mean, it's about Paul writes a letter to Philemon for this slave that's returning Onesimus, and and, uh, and so, he, you know, he wants to kind of give some encouraging words and send him back, um, but it's really never that simple, is it? I mean, there's always so much wrapped into what the story is, right? If it meant to be there, that's why we get into these stories, and we always know there's more to it than we think. Um, you know, the slave owner Philemon and the slave Onesimus experience new beginnings in Christ. Um, and new beginnings in their relationship with each other. Uh, and we see how the power of the Holy Spirit is works in a believer's life to, life to create change. This change isn't just a change between the believer and God, but it's a change between the believer and those brothers and sisters in the body and those outside the body. It's a change in our attitudes. It's a change in our behavior. It's a change in the direction of our lives when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. And this transition is not without consequence, right? Onesimus knows that there can be consequence for returning to Philemon. Just as we know as we walk the Christian walk, there can be consequences. Fortunately, we live in a country, as Dan pointed out, where we have a lot of freedom. We really are not a persecuted church. Um, We certainly have those that are fighting against us, but I'll tell you, there's more fighting from inside the church than there is from outside. Whereas in other countries, being a Christian can be a death sentence. I was really surprised when I heard that that when we had the missionary here talking about um, India and how dangerous it is to be a Christian in India. And I'm thinking, India, they're allies. How could that be the case? Not the case. And, of course, we know the Middle East, how dangerous it is there. So we really have a great freedom here in the United States that that we can celebrate. Uh, But, again, believing has consequences. So today we're going to talk about the significance of attitude, specifically the changed attitude we as Christians are to demonstrate to others Christians as well as to others in the world. 
And this changed attitude is the power of the loving nature of God overpowering our own selfish nature. Uh, we th- naturally think primarily of ourselves. We protect ourselves. We're interested in what's good for us. And when someone wrongs us, we figure out how to get even. Uh, was I forget there's a quote, something like, vengeance is best served cold or something like that. You know, I, I, I remember when I was growing up, you know, ladies would get offended by something and they were scheming. You know, it's like, okay, no, you can't do it now. I got to got to figure out how to make something happen down the road. You know, whereas guys, we just get in a fight. Once the fight's over, a couple hours later, we buy each other a beer, call it a day, you know. <laughs> but our nature is, is, is to hold on to those things, to be resentful and to carry it on. But that's not the nature we're supposed to pick up from Christ. That's our whole change in attitude that we have to go through. So let's get to the story. So Onesimus is a slave who's escaped from the household of Philemon, and we think robbed him on the way out. There's, a, there's some reference in verse 18 that talks about that you know Paul may have to repay something. Um, and Onesimus runs to Rome, gets led to Christ by Paul. And now Onesimus is going to return to Philemon um, and submit to his rightful owner because that's the obedient thing to do. And the book of Philemon is, is like I said before, it's, it's a really cool book because it's got a lot of neat characteristics to it. First of all, it's the only surviving manuscripts that we have that where Paul wrote to a person individually as a friend and convert. Philemon is the only book we have that's written that way. Also, um, Paul wrote by hand parts of Philemon. Now, most of the time, Paul wrote to, had a scribe dictated because Paul had problems with his eyes, we think, and so he struggled in writing. So typically, he dictated to a scribe, and that scribe would be writing everything down. But such was the importance of this letter to Philemon and the fact that he was writing to a friend that he penned in much of it himself. And it's, there's a reference about really big letters. Well, the really big letters because he couldn't see. So he had to write big letters, right, because he had these problems. So it's a really personal letter, and that part was just really exciting uh, about the whole thing. And he writes to Philemon, the owner of Onesimus, let him know that Onesimus is returning to him because he's the right thing to do. Right? And we don't think of it that way, uh, that, that, that this, because again, we don't relate to it the same way. But back then, for a slave to escape could be a death penalty. And so to return to your owner could be a very bad thing, could not go well. But that's what he's told to do. That's what God leads him to do. So my first point today is that true conversion results in a change of attitude. So in Philemon, we see four principal players, right? We have God, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Three of which had a transition in attitude. (laughs) So first of all, God. Of the four, fortunately, he's the one that doesn't change in attitude. He's the one who stays where he's always been. And that is a great thing for those of us that believe, because we know that God is faithful. He follows his word. He does what he says he's going to do. His continued loving kindness toward mankind has been there since the creation. Right? His grace is forever. His mercy unmeasurable. God loved us. God's love for us started again from the very beginning, long before we existed and long before we knew he was pursuing us. Right? Romans 5, 8 says that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. To me, the most amazing part of the story is that before the creation occurred, God, knowing what was going to happen, did it anyway. I mean, it's amazing that from the very beginning, before anything happened, God had a plan that would restore the relationship between man and God and did so over the death of his son. That is nothing a human being would think of. Now we have Paul. We know a lot about Paul, right? We've been studying Paul for quite a while, First and Second Corinthians, and of course we just got through with the Galatians, so we learned a lot about Paul there. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, persecuting the Christian church wherever he went, but then he has this miraculous experience on the road to Damascus and changes. Changes his attitude, he changes his direction, and he becomes an evangelist to the Gentiles. What a huge change in his life, right? He went from persecuting the church to serving the church, to bringing the message to the Gentiles, us. We read in Philippians 3, verses 4 to 9, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul had it all. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a knower of the law. He was respected in the church. He had power, and he was out there persecuting the church. He was among the privileged elite of Israel till that providential day when he met Jesus. And his entire world changed. His entire attitude changed. His entire behavior changed. You know, I always wonder what happened the three years while he was out in the desert. You know, where, what God did with him. You know, I, we don't know. We just know he was out there. But we see this just dramatic change in his life. You know, what happens when you come to know Jesus Christ Things change. Now he suffers persecutions, beatings. Um, he's rejected while he shares the message of resurrection. He wants everyone to understand the free gift that God is offering them. Now, Paul writes to Philemon while he sits as a prisoner in a jail in Rome. Now, he's in the Praetorium prison, which is down in the not-so-good part of town, um, and he's literally chained to a guard. Um, and they're allowing him to preach to whoever wants to come up to the prison and hear the message. Now, you would think that he would be more concerned with his own survival at that point, but that's not his goal. His goal is to reach as many people as possible. And so while he sits in prison, not knowing what his future is going to be, He's preaching the message. 
Such was that change in Paul's heart that his only concern was reaching the loss for Christ. <laughs> and reach he did. To this lowly runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. Now you might ask yourself, why would Paul connect with such a person? And, and it's really hard for us to understand. But Paul develops this friendship between him and Onesimus. And it's because of this friendship that he writes this letter to Philemon, uh, seeking forgiveness for this wayward slave. Now, the next person in this situation is Philemon. So what do we know about Philemon? Well, Philemon was a convert to Christ through Paul's ministry in Asia Minor. Uh, And therefore, he has a special relationship with Paul. On top of that, he was wealthy. And so he was able to provide his house as a meeting place for the early church in Colossae. On top of that, Philemon's wife, Aphia, and his son, Archippus, were also converts. And therefore, the household was an extremely fertile environment for the Christian church. How much so? It's interesting when you talk to people and they're, they're, they're Christian and they want to marry somebody who isn't. I'm like, that's going to be tough. You should really think about that before you marry someone who is not a believer, if you are a believer, because it will be tough. How important it is to have the house together. Um, and here we see the, the power that that does, the power that we have in, in Philemon's house, because the whole house are believers. Now, Philemon is legally entitled to his slave. And there's every reason for him to exact vengeance on Onesimus. But the reality of it is we hear nothing within the word that he treated Onesimus in any sort of bad way. I mean, in those days, slaves were property. And again, this is not a book about the rights or wrongs of slavery. I've seen writings where people have taken this and used all sorts of wrong relation or whatever you want to call it. That's not what this book's about. Okay, this isn't a book trying to justify slavery. That's not the case. And it's a sad statement for the church that realized it wasn't until like the 1600s, something like that, when, when we saw people actually start coming out against slavery. You know, Wilberforce and some of the others that came out. Um, it's hard to believe that we went that long. And even today, there's, in parts of the world, there are more people in slavery than there was back then. Uh, it's horrid, some of the things that are occurring today. Anyway, Paul recognizes the changed attitude in Philemon, the change in his behavior, the change in his direction because he came to know Christ. Right? We read in Philemon 1, verses 4 to 7, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed from you through you, brother. Philemon's love toward Jesus Christ is manifested in the way he behaves toward the believers in his house. Philemon has a change in attitude, and a change in attitude brings a change in behavior and a change of direction in his life. So he's supporting the church meetings in his house, and he's a refreshing force for the Christian church at Colossae. 
And Paul recognized this and thanks God for him. Prays for him. Prays for strength in the church through him. Again, we see the conversion experience that Paul, that changed Paul's attitude toward believers, work in Philemon's life to change his attitude and how he treated people. And so it should be in our lives as well. Right? Those of us that know Jesus Christ should have a changed attitude toward how we think of others. And that changed attitude is going to force a change in our direction, a change in our behavior. As Dan pointed out, it's not how we feel, it's what we know is right. There are things that I, you know, it's, as you know, we did foster care for a long time, and there's some folks I just didn't like. I knew what they did to their kids. But God says you have to love them. You have to show them love. And I'm thinking, okay, God, this is all on you because I can't feel it, but I'll do what you said. And often that's where we find ourselves. We can't react to how we feel. That's, you know, we can hand that to God, but we can change how we behave because we know how we are supposed to behave, right? We can show love even if we don't feel it. And I really believe that if we do that long enough, that will become the feeling, you know? I was listening to people and they talk about marriage and they go ups and downs. I said, well, if you're driving your marriage based on feelings, you're in trouble because you're going to have some bad days. You will be less than excited about your mate. You know, someone pointed out, I woke up and looked and I said, oh, she's still here. You know, <laughs> you know? but the reality is that's not how we live a marriage. We live a marriage by behaving correctly, realizing that our feelings tend to go with us if we do that. Uh, and if we don't, if we feel wrong, we hand that to God and say, Lord, I got a problem in my heart right now. Fix it. You know, help me get the right back to the right feeling. Meanwhile, behave correctly. All right. Now there is Onesimus. So Onesimus has been one of Philemon's slaves, though not apparently a good one. If we look at verse 11, he's in a rather trusted position within the house because he had access to valuable items. Again, because we think he took something when he left. So he's escaped, but not before robbing Philemon of something valuable, which he presumably used to buy his way from Colossae to Rome. And so now I go through this and I ask myself, why in the world would Onesimus run away from the house of Philemon? Philemon's a Christian, his wife's a Christian, his son's a Christian, the whole house is meeting a Christian church. I mean, how great that could be, unless you're not a Christian. I wonder if maybe to Anisinus the fact that all this Christianity was going on, this behavior, this talk, was grating against him. You know, we hear how the, the cross of Christ is, 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 is a stumbling block for people. And I wonder if Onesimus just got tired of hearing it. Don't want to hear that message anymore. I don't know if you guys have family members that go, oh, I don't want to hear that anymore. Enough of you trying to convert me. I'm like, I'm not trying to convert you. I'm just telling you the message. It's up to him to convert you. But I wonder why he left. I mean, we know that Paul compliments Philemon on how much love there is in that house. And yet Onesimus runs. So I wonder, why did he run? So again, I'm just speculating, but I think he ran because he found that much Christianity to be offensive to his heart because his heart had not been changed. We know that, again, the resurrected Jesus Christ was a great stumbling block to Jew and Gentile. 
So now he steals something and heads off to get away from that senseless banter and back into the environment which he understood. Now, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Don and I were talking about that this very morning. I, was, I said, man, 20 years ago, who thought I'd be a pastor? Um, <laughs> I have friends of mine I used to fly fighters with, and they're like, no way. <laughs> it happened. What can I say? They're like, there's no way. We never thought you'd be a pastor. I'm like, yeah, 20 years ago, I'd agreed with you. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. So, now here's the thing that's really cool about, right? So, Nisimus thinks he's escaping from listening to all the Christian banter, right? And he runs off from Colossae to Rome. And now he's living as this slave hiding in the slums of Rome to get away from Christianity. And what does he run into? Paul. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Ha! And you thought you were running away from God. <laughs> you don't. And it's funny how we think that, right? We think, hey, I've got this plan. And next thing you know, it's not what you thought. And boom, God has his way. And that's the nature of the providence of God. You know, I think of things in my life that I thought were a disaster, and then down the road, seven or eight years later, something happened, and I went, ah, now I get it. Now I understand why that happened. Because it didn't happen from what I was thinking was supposed to happen. It happened because this is what God was thinking is going to happen. And he's like, hey, this has got to happen for this to happen, and you just happen to be the lucky winner, and you're going to go in this direction. And the cool part is God knows us well enough that he knows, given this situation, this is how you're going to react. And it's still free will, and he knows it. <laughs> it's really cool. All right. So Onesimus escapes to Rome as God's way of reaching him with the gospel message. Now you wonder, why should Paul care about Onesimus? Right? I mean, there must have been far worthier recipients of God's love than the wretched slave Onesimus. And yet, in his infinite love, the grace of God fell upon this dregs of a man, and he poured his endless mercy upon him. We read in Romans 9, verses 14 to 16, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God. Who has mercy? Isn't that so cool? I mean, think about it. Here's this worthless slave living in the slums of Rome, and God reaches down and says, I will reach this person for Christ. And not only that, I will change his heart, and he will become a servant of mine. Wow. So sure enough, through the piercing words of the Apostle Paul, another heart is melted, another wall fell, and Onesimus accepts Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Such was the change that overtook Onesimus that he started to serve Paul in Rome. And I expect that he would have been happy to stay there and stay in Rome and serve Paul. But, again, the change that occurred in Philemon and demonstrated by the love he showed fellow Christians, now happens in Onesimus. And not only does he realize that his life has changed, his heart has changed, and he cares, he now realizes he has to be obedient. A lot of us don't like that word. God will come in our life and say, okay, this needs to change. Um, 
God, I'm kind of fond of that sin. Uh, could you pick a different one? I'll give you these two. He's like, no, no, it's going to be this one. And so Onesimus is told by God, no, you're going to return to Philemon. He's like, oh, but you don't know what's going to happen. No, I don't. I'm God. You don't know what's going to happen. That's the problem, right? But God knows. So imagine the servant runs from his master to Rome only to be converted to Christianity and become a servant to a new master. What irony. Isn't that great? Isn't it great the way God works? I know. That's what I, it just makes your heart glow. It's like, you couldn't see this coming, but he could. All right, God's got this. All right. So this change in attitude now, Onesimus, the runaway slave, to Onesimus, the newborn Christian, so he knows he has to return his owner and face the consequences of his actions. So which brings us to our second point. A change in attitude results in a change of direction. So we see Paul encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he had a change in heart. He had a change in attitude, and he had a change in direction and became an evangelist to the Gentile church. Philemon hears a life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ, has a change in heart, has a change in attitude, has a change in directions, and becomes a serving church in Colossae and serving the Christian brothers and sisters there. And now Onesimus, hearing the words of truth from Paul, has a change in heart, a change in attitude, and a change in direction, and knows that he has to return. From escaped slave hiding in the slums of Rome to a servant of Paul, and now he returns, has to return to Philemon and face whatever consequences might come his way. Onesimus was Philemon's property, and the fate of a returned slave could return in debt. But he had to put his faith in God, trust that he has a plan, and return. Now, three things are on Onesimus' side. First, he traveled with another brother in Christ. Right? I won't say this, right? Tychicus. We know from references in Colossians 4 that he was a well-known Christian, that he had a strong standing among the church, and he's going with Onesimus to go see Philemon. Dan talked about last week how it's important to association, who you put around him. And Onesimus is going with a strong brother to go talk to Philemon. Two, Onesimus knows the contents of the letter that he's delivering to Philemon. And he knows that Paul was encouraging Philemon to show the same love of Onesimus as he was showing the Christian church in Colossae. So he knew Paul's writing of this letter was hopefully going to bring to Philemon awareness, hey, this is another brother. You know, you have to show him the same love, even though he's done this to you. And while you have every right to enact vengeance, that's not what we as Christians do. That's not how we show our behavior. Third, he knew that Philemon was also a convert to Christianity, and therefore the Holy Spirit would be working in his heart. And often that's where we find ourselves when we're in conflict, when we don't want to reconcile with somebody, when we really don't want to be around the person. It's the Holy Spirit that works with us and says, no, you have to make this change. You have to deal with this. You're like, okay, I will. So Paul's other point makes a point to point out um, that Onesimus is now a brother in the Lord with Philemon and that Paul and Onesimus are expecting Philemon to act as a, as a Christian brother and not like an angry slave owner. Now, last week, Dan shared the significance of relationship um, and of reconciliation, and specifically the posture in which you approach a relationship and those around you 
who support the process of reconciliation, right? No relationship is perfect. The road is bumpy. Um, relationships go up and down. Um, and they can be worked to maintain. Some of us have relationships that we would choose not to have, particularly at work. Um, but we have to maintain those relationships, and we have to be Christian about it as much as we may not want to. Um, again, relationships may not be easy, but in fact, they're what drive us. It's what makes life worth living, is our relationship with God and our relationship with our brothers and sisters and our family. I tell you what, my highlight, we have all these kids, you know, and we're about to go back to a tie. Amanda's supposed to deliver any day now. We'll be back to 10 grandkids and 10 great-grandkids. Um, but, you know, so we'll have the herd over, which is six of them, and it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. But it's so much fun, uh, especially Gracie and little Eric, Eric's my, my granddaughter. Uh, they're a terror. You know, worst thing you can say is, where's Gracie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what that means. Something bad is happening, right? You know, but it's what brings off, you know, it's just so great. We're going to have, you know, fourth of July going to have people over and, you know, cooking and, and fireworks and all that kind of, safely, of course. The, um, <laughs> the, it's great to get rained. I was like, hey, well, it's great to get rained. Yeah, God knew it was going to be fireworks day. The, uh, but that's just, I mean, relationships is what makes life worth doing. But it's not easy. It's not perfect. Relationships can become damaged, can become broken. But relationships can be healed. And Paul and God want the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon to be healed. Right? And there is much that needs to be reconciled if they are willing. I mean, Philemon has every right to take vengeance out on Onesimus, and those around him that are not Christians would not bat an eye. It would be normal if he executed Onesimus. But we know as Christians and those around him, Philemon knew that is not how a Christian acts. The whole point of Jesus coming to man was to bring reconciliation in our relationship to God. And that means that we're supposed to approach this relationship with a posture of humility and servanthood. And that's not in our blood. That is not our natural inkling. So we have to fight our nature and, and surrender to the Holy Spirit so that we're guided in that way. And as a body of Christ, there is no room for hate. There is no room for resentment. We're to show our fellow man the love that God has shown us. And his love brought us reconciliation to him, so our love should bring peace and reconciliation between our brothers and sisters. Second Corinthians verses five, or chapter five, verses seventeen to nineteen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away; behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, and through God we are making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As Christians, we should have an attitude of love and reconciliation. Right? We should, as God reconciled us to him, we should reconcile with our brothers and sisters. And we should have an attitude of reconciliation. And that's what changes when you come to know the Lord. We have a change in attitude. Change in attitude gives us a change in behavior, and a change in behavior gives us a change in direction. Anyone says, well, my life hasn't changed. I, they need to uh, sit down and have some quiet time with God. 
your life is no different now that you know the Lord than before, there's a problem. Lord, we're just so grateful that you are in the business of changing hearts, in the business of changing attitudes and changing behaviors. We ask that you work in our lives, that you reach down deep into our souls and give us an attitude of reconciliation, that we sense the love that you share with us, that we can share with our brothers and sisters. Again, we're grateful, Lord, that you reached down to us and that you rebuilt that relationship. And we pray, Lord, just open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to those that we need to reconcile with. Um, Help us to be honest with each other. Help us to share. Again, Lord, we're just so grateful for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.